you're listening to a Two Jackets podcast. Check out more at twojackets.com. Welcome to Dueling Sham Fiction. We're Two Jackets Productions. I'm Andrew. I'm Eric. And I'm Marcus. This week we're switching it up with a challenge. Two writers will tackle a property they've never seen before in a literary battle royale. With only ten minutes to learn what they're writing about, who knows what will happen? There's only one way to find out. It's Dueling Sham Fiction! Well hey guys, welcome to our third and final installment of Dueling Sham Fix. Marcus here. I'm very, very excited to be pitching this one to Andrew and Eric because I've been telling them to read it for years. Are you guys excited? <laughs> and we've been ignoring you, I assume. <laughs> for years. Well, it took. It, it would take reading, and I know that's not, you know, something that. that <laughs> I don't know happens. how to read. <laughs> Even though this one does have pictures. So, we got Ooh. that going. Ooh. I like pictures. I can look at pictures. Yeah, so this is going to be another one of our fast episodes, the last of our episodes like this. We'll see how the format changes next week. Tune in! Whoa! But this is going to be a 10-minute pitch. After those 10 minutes, we will each you each get secret bonus points, or just bonus points. They're secret to each other, I guess. Yes. And yes. Uh, you can ask me one question, but yes. 10 minutes is free game, and I will try to cover as much as possible in those 10 minutes. I hope you choose to just do a sexy little dance for 10 minutes straight. Well, you know, the, the, and, uh, then we have <laughs> to interpret it, what it meant, you know? Yeah. Uh, I will have to, once I launch this, I'll have to be as quick as possible praising the people because I, I love them so much. Uh, so I'll try to actually get to the story very quickly. Uh, we can just write like a shamfic of like what we have, we assume your praise is, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, enough talk. Let's talk. Putting 10 minutes on the clock and we're starting now. Guys, you are going to be writing Ex Machina. Not ah, the movie. I've seen it. I've seen it. <laughs> Robots. Not the Robot movie. Babe. This is the 2004 DC Wildstorm comic book series, graphic novels, written by Brian K. Vaughn, one of my top two Brians in the comic industry. About half <laughs> of my shelf is Brian K. Vaughn and Brian Vendis. Uh, and also created by Tony Harris, who did awesome, awesome art on this run. So, Ex Machina, yes, this was started in 2004, ran through 2010, 50 normal issues, bunch of specials, fantastic stuff. Mm. Uh, the basic premise, as I would put it today, maybe I wouldn't have made this reference in 2004, is this is the West Wing meets Iron Man, okay? What? And that's about as awesome as of a premise as you can get. That's the uh, most awesome. Yeah, so it's a it's a period piece. It takes place starting in 2002, um, but it does flashbacks to 2000 or not 2000 uh, to 1999 and beforehand. This is a story of a civil engineer named Mitchell Hundred or Mitch Hundred, who gets called to inspect a mysterious device that's shown up next to the Brooklyn Bridge. This is all in uh, New York, and he is looking at this thing, uh, and it comes off from the bridge, it starts glowing, it explodes, hits him in the face. This is 1999. His, his, his face gets better. But then he has this weird circuit board-like pattern along the side of his face, and suddenly he can hear machines, and he can talk to the machines and tell them to do stuff. And it gives him this miraculous superpower. These machines don't always obey him, 
um, and sometimes they'll lie, but generally he has a pretty good rapport with the machines. This means he can talk to your headphones, he can talk to a cell phone, he can talk to a car. Uh, he can't talk to things that are too extremely simple, although he can talk to basic locks, like a, a, a deadbolt he could say, you know, unlock. But he couldn't tell a bow and arrow hmm. to stop. <laughs> Has to be ah. a little bit more advanced than that. Huh. So this cool. is 1999 when this happens. And Mitch, he grew up on comics. Uh, he was raised by his mother. His father was not in the picture. But he also has this uh, father figure, a guy named Kremlin. Uh, he's not actually named Kremlin, but they call him Kremlin. And he is, uh, you know, former, he's a, he's a Russian immigrant. He's kind of a Marxist, but he wasn't very impressed by the Soviet regime, so he kind of lost some sense of that. But he still thinks communism's a good deed. And much like the, with great power comes great responsibility, Kremlin tells, you know, Mitchell uh, to, or from each according to his ability, to each according to his needs. It's kind of the justification for Mitchell using his powers to help people and get out there, because he has has these powers. So, Mm -hmm. um, Mitch and Kremlin were both superhero fans. Kremlin's an older guy. And Mitchell goes out and he starts fighting crime eventually with Kremlin's assistant as a superhero known as the Great Machine. And the Great Machine is a reference to a Thomas Jefferson quote. There's a lot of politics throughout this whole thing, uh, talking about how democracy works, how government works. He refers to it as a Great Machine. And when you get to... This part where he's being a superhero, uh, Mitchell starts having these crazy dreams where he he will see designs for things, and he and Kremlin will actually end up building them. And so he gets a jetpack, and he gets tasers, and he gets this crazy radio, and his suit is made so that he can only control it with his powers. It's not something that someone else could take these and use. They don't have switches. So he and Kremlin and the guy who was actually on the boat with Mitchell when Mitchell was... uh, exposed to this, to the device, bomb, whatever it was on the Brooklyn Bridge. Uh, The guy's name is Bradbury, Rick Bradbury. He's a former U.S. Marine. Uh, And so the three of them are the team that, you know, put the great machine out in the field. Bradbury and Kremlin are the support, and Mitch is the great machine. But very quickly, as you might if you were a real superhero, he realizes that he's doing more harm than good. He can't really help people. This is 1999 through about 2001 that he's serving as a superhero. He stops a train to save someone's life, but then shuts down all traffic on the subway for 11 hours, you know. Uh, He does a lot of these things where he's trying to do good, but he's just a confused person. And he quickly runs afoul of the police commissioner, Amy Angotti, who just (laughs) completely kicks his ass and tells him to stop doing what he's doing. That inspires Mitch to put away the cape, although he doesn't actually have a cape, but it's more like a rocket jet suit. Yeah, put away the jetpack and run for mayor of New York City, okay? And that's where the, the meeting the West Wing comes in. He recruits a guy named Dave Wiley, who's a Democratic councilman to run his campaign, and Dave agrees because he kind of believes in Mitchell's... Uh, Philosophy that let's let's actually help people. Let's let's do some good. And Mitchell runs as an independent. It looks like there's no chance for Mitch to win until September 11th, 2001, and that's where we find out that on that day in this universe, Mitchell was able to stop the second plane, and that whoa, whoa. turns the tide of the election, and he becomes mayor. 
So he had sworn off the superhero thing, but the terrorist attack, he suits up, saves the second tower, and gets elected into office on that goodwill. Yeah. Wow. (laughs) That is... Whoa! That's just the end of issue one. I mean, this is is good stuff. Uh, So... When he's in office, that's that's what the stories are. It's him in office, and it'll flash back to relevant things from his superhero past. So he will, you know, be talking about drugs, and he'll remember a time where he was trying to bust up a drug ring, and it w- went wrong. It almost always goes wrong. Uh, <laughs> he was never very good at being a superhero. It's hard. Yeah. So he's, yeah, he's mayor of New York City. He would have followed directly after Giuliani, and... In his office, uh, Dave, who was the councilman who ran his campaign, becomes his deputy mayor, uh, his position appointed by the mayor. Uh, and Gotti's asked to stay around and still be the police commissioner. And they have kind of a very adversarial relationship uh, where she's just sick of his vigilante stuff. He's been mm-hmm. sworn by the NSA to not talk about how he got his powers or what his powers can even do. And he's not allowed by the UN to be involved in any international conflicts. So that will come up frequently. Bradbury, the Marine, becomes his chief of staff, or his uh, chief of security, not his chief of staff. And, you know, that's kind of a hard role when Mitchell's a superhero. Uh, but he tries not to use his power too much when he literally talks to machines. Although mm. he does use it almost constantly. Uh <laughs> <laughs> And then the sad thing is that Kremlin becomes completely alienated by Mitch. He thought they were doing good. You know, they were saving lives. And so when Mitchell puts that away to become part of the system, Kremlin wants none of it. And he's always trying to convince Mitchell to come back and be the great machine again. Uh, It gets really adversarial in, in a sad way. But they still maintain a reasonable relationship. But there are times where Kremlin will serve sort of as an antagonist in some of these stories. Sure, okay. Then, rounding out the staff, I'm not going to tell you much about these two people, but they're there if you're writing a political scene. Uh, You have Candace Watts, who's the chief of staff. She's uh, referred to as his fourth chief of staff in two weeks after inauguration, (laughs) because people keep quitting on him. Mm. Um, She's kind of very blunt, uh, no-nonsense when she's talking, has a good sense of humor. And then there's... uh, Journal Moore, who's an intern, who's quickly promoted to the special advisor on youth affairs. What's that name? Journal Moore. Journal? Okay. Journal Moore, yeah. Kind of hippie parents, Uh, (laughs) which they they make fun of. She's uh, really brilliant, had a 4-0 at Columbia, and, you know, ends up speaking more than she should probably in the administration for that type of role, but becomes a good part of the team. So. Cool. That's the, the basic outline here. Um, again, this is real-world politics and flashes back to the superhero past kind of haunting him. There are Ruby. some, some uh, villains who have powers. This isn't a world with powers, but a few people over the years cropped up who ended up having powers due to their interactions with Mitchell. All of the uh, superpowers stem from this one thing, from this thing that gave him the ability to talk to machines. So you have okay. his great enemy is a guy named Jack Fearson, who's dead at the time he takes office, who had the ability to talk to animals uh, based on a mistake trying to reverse engineer the great machine's powers. And then oh. you know, someone could get powers from being exposed to a bit of the, the box that blew up, 
or from studying Mitchell too much. You know, whatever. These things end up happening. So you can throw some of those into the past or maybe into the present. But that's it for the 10 minutes. I just ran out of time. So we will nice. move on now to our little individuals. I'm excited, guys. I was uh, <laughs> trying to cram a lot in here. 50 issues. That works. That was good. I you did really well. well. That's that's so complicated. You, it's so you, complicated. You guys, these ideas have been so complicated. <laughs> uh, right. Yeah. Who's up first? So I think because you asked that, you're showing some initiative. Ah, I'm, yeah. I'm going to go for you first. All right. I'm going away. All right. So... Eric, you will get one question now. Oh, boy. Uh, question. I have to think of something good. Um, 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 <laughs> so do the problems in this story, do they arise uh, primarily from the political stuff or is it, is it, uh, is it all villain related? It's like super villains are attacking. Where does that where does the the kind of problems come from that he's facing nice that is a good good question and it's definitely more from the political side but there's there's always a hint that it might be something tied into the past because when you fought crime for a couple years including you know one major supervillain, uh you get a little paranoid so kremlin always thinks everything's from the past right even though he's not living working with the administration so for example the first arc uh, deals with two things. One, it deals with a snowstorm that is made worse by uh, the snow removal pl- uh, snowplow drivers being assassinated, being killed. So oh. that's that's the thing. And then the other thing it's dealing with is a smaller issue where a very controversial painting that I won't mention the details of is hung up in the Brooklyn Museum of Art. Okay. And so it's just, you know, he's got real problems to deal with. The superhero thing is the last thing he wants to think about. Gotcha. But, yeah. So more focus on the politics of it. Does that City answer problems. your question? Yeah. Yeah, that works. Awesome. I like it. And of course, cool. You know, there's always the specter of re-election hanging over the air. Ooh, re-elected. Sure. Yeah. So, All right. What about my uh, your, bonus your points? Bonus points. So you're gonna get very Eric-y bonus points. Uh, Yay. You know, I mentioned that his base power is that he has the ability to talk to machines and tell them what to do. Mm-hmm. And they end up doing some cool stuff with him having some understanding of machines or electronics to use his powers in cool ways. So at one point, for instance, he's trying to rescue a firefighter back when he was the great machine. And mm-hmm. he can't get this device he was supposed to talk to to work. So he just shouts for everything on the 800 megahertz spectrum to start making noise, right? So that leads him to him because he knew the frequency. The point oh, nice. is your, your bonus points are to use his power in a way that's more than just saying on or off or telling a gun to jam or whatever that is. Come okay. up with something that would be really clever use of being able to talk to a machine or maybe a specific part of a machine. Okay. That's very cool. I will give it a shot. Thank you. Awesome. I'm very excited. So we'll bring Andrew back in. All right. All right. I will uh, see you in a, in a second. Yeah, thank you. Hey, All I'm right. back. Excellent. I'm, I'm excited. We had a good chat, Eric and I. It seemed like it. I saw happy yeah. faces. Yeah, we're very happy faces. I have a happy face. This is, I mean, you say West Wing meets Iron Man, and I'm immediately like, these are two things that I love. <laughs> no, I want this to be an HBO show, like, 
10 years ago, but it already still sounds take it. like one. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh my goodness. It, it probably already exists when, by the time this comes out a few months from now. <laughs> um, <laughs> okay. Um, so I've been in the last couple of minutes racking my brain for a question because this, this is a good assignment. I'm already feeling pretty good about it. Sweet. Um, so what I want to know is, do we have any idea is there any explanation in the in the stories as to where this came from, where where Ooh. the uh, the thing on the bridge has come from? All right, that's it's a tough question. It's it's a good question, but I'm not going to answer it. Um, How I'll give dare you? A, I'll give you a partial <laughs> answer. That's fine. That's all um, I want. Because you know, of course, all is revealed by the end. But sure. you're not going to get that answer. Yeah, so, yeah. Because I want to read this at some point. Yeah. Right, you should. I mean, I, I haven't mentioned it or anything, so I'm not, you know, upset that you haven't. But um, <laughs> I should, I should read this. Came out when we were in college. Still mentioned it then. You anyway, can just answer my question. I, I can. Yeah, I'm, I'm filling time because you don't get much of an answer. Uh, okay. <laughs> so they have lots of theories. You know, that could be aliens. It could be from the future. It could be from another uh, world or dimension. Okay, but. The way that it's played is that Mitchell might have a little bit more of an idea than everyone else, but because he's so sworn to that NSA contract that he can't disclose this information, you know, part of the terms of him not being arrested when he revealed that he was the great machine, uh, he can't and he doesn't really end up talking about it. Okay. But there are some weird, weird happenings that keep occurring. And one of the weird happenings that I will mention, uh, mostly from memory, I didn't reread this issue, yeah, is that fine. there's a recurring theme of this song that's being picked up on radios uh, called The Stars Are Down. And it's a song that was recorded by Nirvana after Kurt Cobain died. So it's a Nirvana song that shouldn't exist, but somehow we're hearing it on the radio. Somehow it becomes this thing that sort of keeps following Mitchell around. Oh, so only he hears it or it is actually like happening. It, it's actually happening. And it's okay. not like, you know, they recorded something after Cobain passed. This is from somewhere where, uh, this song was recorded and presumably Kurt Cobain's still alive. I like that a lot as a Nirvana fan. That's very, yeah. That's, totally that's haunting the way it's used throughout the show. Yeah. Really, really good. Or oh, you already called, you called it a show. You see, I know, it's an I'm HBO show already. Already happened. Well, um, the other bonus, Brian, oh. all of his shows are, are you know, all of his comics are shows now. <laughs> Another uh, one was announced last yeah, week. Yeah, this Vaughn guy needs to, we need more. Yeah. More from this guy. I like him. Um, yes. All right. Bonus points. All right, bonus points. So for you, your bonus points are to give me the best West Wing moment, right? Because we want to make the pitch for, for Aaron Sorkin to at least write the pilot of this show. Uh, so I don't want you to give me something, a story that has no superhero flashbacks or no use of powers. But incorporate that. You know, like, what would it actually look like if Josh Lyman was having a chat with Mitchell Hunter, the great machine? You know, <laughs> show, show me that, that bit of West Wing flavor and you'll get your bonus points. West Wing moment slash flavor. Oh, man. That will most definitely be in there. Excellent. Well, I'm very All excited. Right. We'll bring Eric in just to wrap it up now. Yeah. That'll be it. 
Yo, yo, yo. So. All right, guys. That's right. (laughs) Really good questions with both of you. Very excited. So are you you ready to do this? Yes. Yes, I am ready to take Eric down. Oh, you're going to end up dead, son. (laughs) Oh, no. (laughs) All right. Well, excellent spirit of party unity. We'll uh, Uh go into the break, (laughs) and then we'll hear two great stories. Of the great machine. Uh, Team Eric. Thanks, guys. Hey, Sham listeners. If you like the show, there are two things you can do that'll really help us out. The first is subscribe. You'll get a new episode every week in 2016 without fail. That's our pledge to you. And that'll be delivered automatically to your device. Beyond that, you could really help us out by writing a review. Let other people know what the show's about, what your experience has been. And if it's positive, all the better. If you don't feel like you can write a positive review, think about it as a writing challenge. You think you're better than us? Write a sham fiction of a good review. Make us believe that you believe in us. I know you can do it. Anyway, thanks for listening. And we are back. I am so excited to hear your guys' takes on Ex Machina. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Uh, I can't wait to see what you did with it. I want to see a wide range of things. Or maybe this will be the first week of Dueling Sham Fictions where you write essentially the same story. Either way, it's really possible. Excited. Anything is possible when you duel with Sham Fictions. You got it. Who knows what's going to happen? I will say I know what's going to happen. And oh. the first thing that's going to happen is Eric is going to read his story. <laughs> oh, okay. Yay. That's that's a little different. I was like, well, that's kind of sad for you. No surprises. <laughs> no, I get to, Andrew, this is good because this just means I get to open for you. So you are the headliner and I am just the opening act. You know what? I like this. I'm going to, let's stick with your interpretation here. Mm-hmm. I'm hoping he gets cocky <laughs> somehow. All right. I'm going to, I'm going to read my version of Ex Machina. All right. All right. Here, here we go. New York City Hall, 2002. There was a single sharp knock, the door opened, and Amy and Cotty stepped into the small basement room, followed by a very stressed-looking Dave Wiley and slightly bemused Candace Watts. Mitch sat up straighter in his chair and adjusted his hands in the uncomfortable metal cuffs. "'Convince me not to throw you to the wolves,' she said sternly, hands on hips. Dave cut in with, "'Mitch, just deny everything!' (laughs) But Amy slapped him right in the face to shut him up. "'Ow!' (laughs) So, I take it you told those reporters I'm a horrible criminal, said Mitch casually, a light smile on his face despite his current predicament. No, actually, replied Amy, I heavily implied that these were probably false allegations. This caught Mitch by surprise. What? He started. Amy, you've wanted me out of City Hall since before the election. She nodded coolly at this and said, But you didn't replace me when you won. You gave me the benefit of the doubt, and now I'm returning the favor. So now you get to convince me. Did you take that money? Mitch hesitated. (laughs) Technically, yes, he said sheepishly. Amy swore to herself. And who was this Kremlin guy? Was? Mitch asked, his smile faltering. Does that mean... Amy nodded. He ran. They fired. That's what happens. (laughs) So it was true. Mitch's eyes watered for a moment, but he dropped his gaze to his handcuffs and said, He shouldn't have run. You shouldn't have involved him, Amy said with no hint of condolence. She was right, of course. 
So, who was he and why was he involved? Mitch looked at Dave and Candace, who were standing near the door, listening to their conversation. His instinct was to ask them to leave, thus reducing the number of people he let in. He needed to tell Amy the truth, since she had clearly taken a big risk by sticking her neck out for him. Plus, she had known him before he had traded in the super suit for a business suit. Candace and Dave, however, didn't know as much about that part of him. It made him nervous to get them involved now. He swallowed that fear and spoke to Amy. I have these dreams. Dreams? Designs. Machines that only I can use, but Kremlin was the one who built them. You're talking about the android. Mitch was surprised by this. You saw it? Amy nodded. Well, I've never thought of it as an android. What happened to it? He asked. Impounded. Should I be worried? Mitch thought for a beat, but then said, No. Amy stared at Mitch for a long moment, as if contemplating the truth of his statement. She then sat down in the chair next to Mitch and said, Can I assume this machine of yours was being paid for by stolen funds? I wouldn't call it stealing. Kremlin's Workshop, 1999. That's stupid! You're stupid! <laughs> Kremlin shouted from the other side of the grungy workbench. He flicked off the soldering iron and set it gingerly in its rest. The duffel bag lay between them, several wads of cash spilling out onto the ancient wood. Innumerable nuts, bolts, pieces of metal, and bits of wire littered the table, some of which had begun taking the rough shape of a human skull. It's not illegal. I don't even think there's a word for what I just did. There is, he responded flatly. Stealing. <laughs> Mitch signed and sat down on an oil-stained trunk, ignoring the fact that he was probably staining the seat of his nice new suit pants. It's yours, said Mitch in a dead tone, for the machine, and, and maybe hire a maid to clean up this place while you're at it. <laughs> Kremlin shook his head. Mitch, you think by convincing a machine to give you money that it does not make you a thief? It does. He walked around to the other side of the table and began looking through the contents of the duffel bag, inspecting the bundles of cash before tossing them back in. This isn't like that time with the ATM, Mitch said defensively. How is this different? Uh, because I didn't take the money. I earned it. I beat the system. Kremlin stuffed the loose bills back into the duffel and zipped it shut, picking it off the table and dropping it at Mitch's feet. No, I don't need it. I won't build it. Mitch stiffened and sat up straighter to compete with Kremlin's looming form. But what about my dreams? These designs came to me for a reason. No, Kremlin repeated, louder this time. I refuse to build this thing. These dreams you have with the schematics and the ideas, they serve you. They give you what you want. You want a way to stop being the great machine, so the dreams give you a way. This does not mean you must act. I refuse to help you in this. Kremlin, it's the only way. Kremlin shook his head. I have solution for you, he began as he turned towards the door. Just be the great machine again. With that, Kremlin left the room. New York City Hall, 2002. Go on, Amy said. Mitch took another look at Candace and Dave before plowing ahead. Well, you know that machines talk to me, right? Then he lifted the cuffs to his face and told them to unlock. 
They obeyed his command, and the, met- and the metal <laughs> handcuffs suddenly sprang open and fell limply onto the cement floor with a clatter. He rubbed his sore wrists and stood from the uncomfortable chair. Amy raised an eyebrow at this. Mitch went on. And I was on Wall Street a couple years ago when all of a sudden I, I heard these voices. You heard voices. I'm supposed to be reassured? She asked cattily. Mitch ignored her. It was then that I realized that I was hearing the stock exchange, the, the market itself, all the computers and networks and buzz of electronic trading that was all happening in the air around me and below my feet, and it was as if they suddenly had a voice. Uh, the market was talking to me, Amy. You're a crazy person. I'm going to go tell the reporters <laughs> you're going to jail. She stood up to go. Hear me out, said Mitch frantically. The stock market is a machine, a vastly complex system of, of buy and sell, yes and no, on and off. And if I listened close enough, I could use it to know exactly when to buy and when to sell. Hold on, shouted Candace from near the door. Everyone turned to her. You're telling me that you inside traded with the stock market itself? As if it were a person? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's, that's pretty much it. Mitch shrugged. That's not a crime! Candace laughed. I don't even think there's a name for that! That's what I said, Mitch mused. (laughs) Amy coughed, bringing all attention back to her. She had a way of doing that. All right, so maybe what you did isn't exactly a known crime, but I think we can all agree that it wasn't a morally sound thing to do. Everyone nodded. Agreed, said Mitch. But this was right about the time I started seeing this android in my sleep. A machine that can do everything I used to do. You know, in my old job, I called him (laughs) Robo-Mitch. Everyone stared at him for a few seconds. Amy broke the silence. So that brings us to this Kremlin guy. You gave him a ton of ill-acquired money to build a Robo-U or whatever. Weird, by the way. I looked into this guy, you know. (laughs) Russian immigrant. Sketchy criminal record, on the FBI watch list for a while in the late 90s, and now he's dead. Because of me, said Mitch Mitch morosely. Because he ran, Mitch, said Amy. And if he ran, then he must have felt he was doing something wrong. This could work in our favor. Mitch started at this. What are you talking about? The way I see it, you have a choice, Mr. Mayor. She put both hands palm up in front of her as if presenting the options. One, you admit to your sort of crimes and get tried and probably impeached for being a shady scumbag. (laughs) Candace laughed at this from the corner. Or two, we blame it all on this unknown Russian who ran from the cops when he was cornered and who's now too dead to refute anything we say. Dave piped up at this. That. We should definitely go with option two. (laughs) Candace nodded and spoke up as well. I know it seems dishonest, but I have to agree with Dave on this one, Mitch. Amy also nodded. It would certainly save this administration a lot of grief. Mitch looked around at all three of them, noticing how relieved they all seemed to realize that there was an easy way out. He thought about this. No, what he did certainly wouldn't count as the worst crime ever committed by a New York City mayor, but the trials and the public outcry would effectively cripple him for the remainder of his term. And Kremlin was definitely an easy scapegoat. 
They could pass him off as a wannabe supervillain and sweep the whole thing under the rug. But this didn't sit right with Mitch. Kremlin had been his friend for so long, and now, thanks to Mitch's actions, he was dead. Everyone in the room waited for him to say something. Amy said, What will it be, Mitch? Your advisors seem to think that you should choose option two. A long moment passed. Finally, Mitch said, No. Kremlin was my friend. We tell the truth. Everyone groaned. And then the door to the cramped room opened and a skeletal metallic form stepped into the room. <laughs> Robo Mitch? <laughs> the end. What? <laughs> Robo Mitch? Robo guess you'll have Mitch. to get the next issue to see what happens with that. Whoa, so many cliffhangers in these dueling sham facts. Uh-huh. It's, it's classic Vaughn style. He's <laughs> yeah. all about the cliffhanger. It's amazing. Good. Uh, he wants me to keep reading. Uh-huh. He succeeds. Oh, he does. Uh, uh, and Eric does, too. Yeah. So, wow. All right. <laughs> uh, let's hear from Andrew before we talk about that. Oh, my gosh. I have so many questions based on that. I'm so excited to talk about that. <laughs> Save them. Uh, all right. I will. Okay, here we go. Here's, here's Andrew Neal's uh, Brian K. Vaughn's Ex Machina. 7.55 a.m., Mayor's office. <laughs> Mitch was looking out a window through the trees at the park below. The morning sunlight shone through the swaying branches outside, which cast shifting, irregular beams into the room. After a slight turn of his head, Mitch caught a green glint on the glass before him. He turned to look at it, but it disappeared. After a moment's thought, he slowly turned his head back until the glint returned. He touched his cheek and felt the cool, familiar pattern of the circuitry there. As his hand covered it, the glint in the window vanished again. In its place, he saw the reflection of his desk, covered in open newspaper issues from the last few days. He had just finished reading through the articles about the problem in Queens. When things like this were happening, the song usually started. This time was no different. (laughs) He had dreamt last night, and now the song was in his head. He sighed and listened to the tune. Then he lifted his mug to take a drink. 8.15 a.m., Deputy Mayor's office. The coffee maker in the break room isn't working. What? Dave asked absently. The coffee maker in the break room isn't working, Journal repeated. Dave looked up at her with bleary eyes that hadn't strained from his computer monitor in over an hour. What are you talking about? He replied. I have some right here. He lifted his iHeartNY mug and took a drink, immediately regretting it. Yeah, she began. That's definitely a day or two old. Dave pulled the (laughs) wastebasket below his desk and spit the cold, gritty coffee into it. Margaret! He shouted out the door, where Journal leaned against the frame. His secretary appeared a moment later. Yes? You didn't replace my coffee this morning? The coffee maker in the break room isn't. There are other coffee makers in other break rooms, he said. Go downstairs. Margaret furrowed her brow and glared at him. He sighed and added, please? She walked up to his desk, took the mug from his hand, and marched out of the office. Journal watched her go. What you doing here, Journal? Dave asked. He noted the to-go coffee cup in her hand before turning back to his computer. I have an 8.30 downstairs with the Youth Services Committee, she replied, walking into his office. Great, he said. Why are you in my office? To bother you, she said with a smile. Great. 
What's going on? She asked as she absently strolled into the room. Well, Dave began, I'm currently half-reading an email from a Parks Department employee who annoys me almost as much as you, but that's just a distraction from a message I received this morning about the Tallman problem. Tallman problem? Yeah, the Tallman wastewater treatment plant. Where's that? College Point. Where's that? Queens. What's going on there? Oh, you know, just some apocalypse-level shit. Real Book of Revelations, career and administration ruining kind of stuff. Journal paused from her strolling to look at him. Should I be hearing about this? Sure, Dave said. It's been in the paper. There's a problem with the treatment system. Some of the equipment isn't functioning properly. The DEP sent engineers down to fix it four days ago, and they still haven't figured it out. Okay. Journal inserted with a rising inflection, encouraging him to proceed. (sighs) Projections from the last few days have said the plant wouldn't reach incident level until Sunday, but the message I received this morning said they miscalculated. Dave exhaled before continuing. Now they're saying tomorrow at 8 p.m. Tomorrow at 8, Journal repeated. That's less than 36 hours from now, Dave finished. So what would happen if... Journal trailed off as if saying it out loud would make it happen. Dave leaned back in his chair. Wastewater and sewage would start backing up into the College Point water supply, poisoning the drinking water of 20,000 working-class people, and 8 million gallons of untreated water would begin spilling out into the East River. Whoa, a day, Dave finished. (laughs) Journal's eyes grew wide She took a seat across from him A moment passed before she spoke again Does the mayor know? Yes What are you gonna do? What do you think we should do? He asked her She perked up a bit at this, but hesitated I don't think Candace would She began What do you think, Journal? Dave stressed She smirked awkwardly and shrugged Let hundred be hundred (laughs) (laughs) 12.45 p.m., outside the executive offices. Candace noted how comfortable her feet were as she climbed the last few marble stairs onto the second-floor landing. On the car ride back from lunch, she had changed out of her work heels into her New Balance sneakers. She'd been doing this sort of thing for a while now, but she was nonetheless pleased with how much better her feet felt since she'd started. Also, without heels, her steps didn't echo in City Hall's rotunda and wide corridors. She had been told many times before that she had a distinct walk that people could hear coming, and she didn't like that so much. Still, despite her silent steps, she saw Dave waiting for her at the entrance to the West Wing Corridor. "'Hey, can I walk with you?' he asked. "'Sure,' she began without stopping. "'But I have one o'clock with a representative from the Bureau of Wastewater Treatment.' "'I know,' he said, falling in beside her. "'That's what I want to talk about.' "'Okay, let's talk in my off,' Dave cut her off. "'I think we should send the mayor to Tallman.' Candace Candace felt her jaw clench. She looked around. The hall was sparsely populated. Most were still at lunch. Let's talk in my office, she said. I think it's appropriate, given the situation, Dave continued, ignoring her comment. No, she replied with a tinge of anger. She picked up her pace so they'd reach her office sooner. Candace, we... No. When I started, you told me that you wanted to go straight. And now, six months in, you're already wanting to break that. Six months in, our approval rating is evaporating, and it's going to be gone if this goes cataclysmic. The people elected him of what is, the people elected him because of what he can do. No, they elected him because he's a hero. What's the there's a difference. He has a hero's values. Our goal is to apply those values to this administration's policy and act in a way that reflects it. That's what you wanted. That's going straight. But this isn't a political issue. He's the mayor, Dave. Every move he makes is a political move. His bowel movements are political. (laughs) She regretted it as she said it. Dave seemed to notice. Probably not the best joke to make right now. I know. 
The point is, <laughs> let the DEP handle it. The same DEP that's under probation for violating the Federal Water Pollution Control Act and... Dave, and the Toxic Substance Control Act, I'm not convinced. They need help. They have some of the most qualified engineers in the country down there right now, and they could use some help. She stopped right outside the door to her office and turned to face him. Where does it stop? She asked. Where does what stop? He answered. She took a deep breath. Dave tensed, bracing for what she was about to say. We do not have standards for this. You could have established some at the onset, but instead, you chose abstinence. You told this government, no, this city, that the mayor's powers would not interfere with this administration's activity, but that his values would influence it. If he uses his powers to assist at Tallman, there is nothing to stop every other agency in this government, DOB, DOT, NYPD, from requesting his aid. As chief of staff, I do not want to call to this office every time a toilet backs up around here. That's not our job. Dave relaxed at her last statement. A little smirk appeared on his lips. Okay, he said. (laughs) She frowned. That's it? That's all you have to say? (laughs) No, you're right, he continued. That's not our job. Then he let a deliberately dramatic pause linger before saying, Our job is to serve at the pleasure of the mayor. (laughs) Candace's gut tightened. She knew what he meant by this, and she was confirmed as he turned around and quickly began to walk toward the mayor's office next door. She groaned and called after him. Dave! He didn't stop, so she followed and met him at the open door where he dressed Peggy, the mayor's secretary. Hey, Peggy, is he in? No, he stepped out, she replied. Where to? 12.55 p.m., executive break room. All of that needs replacing? Mitch asked. Yes, I'm afraid. Heating coil, heat sensor, power cable, he listed. Yes, and will you be able to replace them? Oh, sure, Mitch assured. It'll take Lloyd a few days to get the parts from Bun, but you'll get them. You'll be okay. Thank you. Of course, Mitch said. You do a great job. You make a mean cup of joe. (laughs) He rested a comforting hand on the machine and turned to Lloyd for maintenance. Got it? Yes, sir, Lloyd replied, replacing his notepad and pen in his front pocket. Might want to get the grease, too. Oh, yeah, Mitch agreed. Pick up some of that uh, white heat conductive grease. It would it would rather not melt again for a while. Sure thing, sir. Lloyd confirmed as he exited past Dave and Candace, who now stood in the doorway. They took Mitch a bit by surprise. How long have you two been there? He asked. Just a minute, Dave replied. Mitch noted his friend's eyes. They seemed brighter than they'd been all week, and a pleased smile lied below them. Mr. Mayor, Candace began. She was smiling, too but she seemed a bit more stiff, more hesitant. We'd like to discuss Tallman. He caught her eyes glance over to his hand, which still rests on the machine. He looked at it a moment, noting the tune that continued to play in his head. Then he turned back to his staff and nodded. Good. I'm ready. The end. (laughs) Nice. (laughs) Wow. You know, I haven't seen much West Wing, but this was a really good West Wing sham fiction, I gotta say. (laughs) And before we uh, before we go into all this, for our listeners who might not be as familiar with the West Wing, who want to know why we were cackling, or I was at least obnoxiously during Andrew's story, Uh uh, let Hundred Be Hundred is a play on President Bartlett from the West Wing's campaign Ah. idea. (laughs) Let let Bartlett be Bartlett. Uh, so that just destroyed me. And also, oh. the the standard Josh Lyman 
<laughs> vocal yeah, okay. tick is the yeah, okay. Yeah. <laughs> so good. So good. Uh, very good. That was fun. You guys should just watch The West Wing. I mean, obviously, <laughs> Super Dex Machina, but I, I recommend it. It's good, good stuff. Uh, oh, good. Gosh, yeah. I wanna, I wanna just hop right into this. Uh, two very different takes that both hit a lot of the feeling of Ex Machina in different ways, which is just great that all three of our episodes of these dueling sham fictions have had such varied results. I, I thought there's a high likelihood that we'd both hit on the same concept for at least one of them, mm-hmm. uh, and I'm glad we did it. No, so, we did Eric, good. do you want to... You want to take us off by uh, telling us a little bit about how you get, got into this process? Well, first of all, I should probably say the specific assignment you gave me. Oh, you're me, right. The specific right. Uh, uh, question. I believe I had asked, um, Is are there more political sort of problems or like super villainy problems? And you told me that it's more political. It's like West Wing sort of, yes. sort of action, but with superpowers. And so it would, that, one of the things that you did completely right is the flashbacks to a relevant superhero adventure. Gotcha. Cool. Uh, and then your bonus points, I believe, were to have a complicated tech-related communication. Yeah, something oh, that would be yeah, a little I, bit more I technical. Wrote, uh, like a more clever way uh, to interact with the machine than on slash off. Like do something yeah. with the machine that is more interesting. Yeah, and creative. right away I'll say I'll say you nailed that. Woo! I was worried. That's good. I, I love the the notion of insider trading with the market itself. <laughs> yeah, just talking to the machine. Yeah. All right. So yeah, talk talk me through how you came about this. Um, that's a good question. Um, gosh, I you know I'm not sure where this where the idea came from. I kind of wanted the mayor to be in trouble. Um, kind of get him out of. Uh, whatever his his uh his element is mostly because i had like really no idea of what it is like to be involved in government administration period like i mm-hmm. I, I and i was like i don't want to research this is <laughs> this is sham fiction i just want to write so i i immediately came upon something that would mean i didn't have to do walks and talks in the in the hallways of the uh city hall and just kind of isolate mitch um, in the basement where it's basically just a white room windowless sort of space um, and uh, I liked the idea of this sort of of the the scandal that would come from a mayor being accused of like insider trading or stealing money something like that um, I thought that would be a good conflict to introduce that's not necessarily city problems it's a very personal political sort of sort of problem so this is what I came up with um, it's a little convoluted because I wanted to include this material about he wanted to that he's been having these dreams about this android, this robot that can basically uh, do the superhero gig for him. I thought it was mm-hmm. a very, very comic book thing. And I liked having that element in there. Um, but it kind of got buried under the scandal sort of stuff. But had it been a longer piece, I think it would have been a little more present. Um, but of course, I wanted to throw that thing at the end where the robot busts into the door and we we see that there are perhaps future adventures with that. So that was <laughs> my process. Mitch and Robo Mitch being best buds. Robo Mitch? <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad he just called it Robo Mitch. Uh-huh. I do love that. That, that. that would be very ex machina. Very cool. Um, yeah, so excellent. I, I so much I want to say about it, but let's let's hear about Andrew's journey a little bit here as well. So, Shh. 
Andrew had asked me uh, if we know anything about the device. And mm. I told him, you know, we do by the end of the series, but the characters don't at this point, and so he won't. <laughs> uh, gotcha. But we do know that the NSA forbids him from really talking about the extent of his powers. Gotcha. And the can, UN won't let him use them abroad. Can I ask a question, or can I guess as to what the bonus point was? Yeah. Was it something to, to do with the music in his uh, head? Actually, no. So that's, that's an interesting thing. Um, one of the things that I did give Andrew, because my answer to his question was basically just no. We, you know, you don't know anything about it. Gotcha. Is I told him that one of the hints that we get is there is this recording of a Nirvana song that shouldn't exist that pops up in a few different places. It was recorded. Uh, they've run all these vocal analysis on it. And it was something that Kurt Cobain recorded called The Stars Are Down. And it shows up, but it would have been recorded after he died. Right? Ugh. So that's kind of a weird, creepy thing that keeps popping up, and we don't know exactly what that means. Gotcha. Is that like, I mean, I'm just spitballing here, but is that like alternate dimensions, different timelines? Is that... You know, I really don't want to say, because right. uh, it's so interesting the way it plays out. It is interesting. Um... So, yeah, that, that's what that was. My bonus points for Andrew were to do something extremely West Wingy, <laughs> <laughs> uh, which I, I don't think you can get more bonus points than <laughs> what he did there. <laughs> yeah, so, so that's what I had going into this, in addition to what you had, Eric. So, yeah, I, 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 that's, that's what I latched on to. I was like, I'm going to use this as my uh, opportunity to write Aaron Sorkin, uh, like Eric and so Aaron Sorkin, at least how I... Th- perceive Aaron Sorkin to be and so that was my 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 entry point into this was okay let's let's do some west wing in the new york city hall building in the mayor's office and just kind of apply what i know from that show to this um but unlike you mr carlson i did quite a bit of research into the uh, office of the uh, mayor of New York City and how his administration works, um, the departments underneath it, the people that he works with. I won't say that it was deep research, but it was bl- it was it was broad research. Show um, off, yes. <laughs> um, into how it works. Not. I don't know how much of it actually got into the piece, um, no, but I, I knew I, that I wanted to do something with some sort of disaster and something to do with machinery, of course, since this is Mitch. And he could use his powers to fix it somehow. Um, so, yeah, I just stumbled into the wastewater treatment stuff. I actually wrote down when I was listening to your piece, well-researched, good jargon. So I think it, it definitely definitely came across. Good. I'm glad to hear that. That, w- that was great. And it, it really fits the West Wing. Because mm-hmm. West Wing feels, I mean, they didn't really have Wikipedia at the time. But it feels like you spent a good five hours on the internet. And then you condense everything that you possibly have learned about a topic into five minutes of really too smart conversation. <laughs> and yeah. uh, it's very condensed. Like, it's like, you, you can't how can fake people? It. What's that? Well, you, you just can't fake it because no. these characters are throwing out so many details, and it's it's just a really interesting way to establish what's going on and bring the stakes in. So you did a good job of that. Thank you. Yeah, it's like, how can people possibly be this well-versed? It's like the, the, the it's always facts and figures. I, I watched a few episodes of The West Wing to just kind of get some flavor ideas, and they always just spout out 
statistics and i'm just like yep that's going in there <laughs> yeah <laughs> and also you uh you used a shit word which means we are now in explicit territory fuck 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 yeah <laughs> Uh, I, 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 I messaged you about that and I didn't get a response, but I just left it in. No, I, I, my response was basically egging you on to use bad language, <laughs> knowing that I was keeping mine clean. Oh, this is, this is a Vertigo tile, uh, title. They're not Vertigo, yeah. it was Wildstorm, so they, they used the swears. Good. Nice. How could you not? Yeah. Good. Wow. Okay, gosh, let's, let's talk about these. Uh, unless you have anything more you want to say about the process there, Andrew. Nope, good. Let's move on. Okay, so, Eric, you killed Kremlin! <laughs> sure did. <laughs> Whoa! Uh, that was that was a shock. So that was interesting. I know it's a fake story, but it's like, Kremlin! Uh, <laughs> well, it's funny, because the way you described the show, it kind of seemed like Kremlin, uh, after Mitch becomes mayor, it kind of seems like he becomes useless. He becomes like superfluous. Like he doesn't have a have a function anymore. So I kind of saw it like, okay, he's really important when Mitch is fighting crime or trying to, but less so after the mayordom. So it, he seemed like a, a good uh, Game of Thronesy style sacrifice. <laughs> yeah, like, I mean, it, was, it was an interesting choice. I, I dug it. Um, Featuring Kremlin so heavily, it threw me off a bit that you didn't have Bradbury in there. Oh, sure. You know, because they're the trio. Gotcha. Um, which, you know, it's you don't have much time, and you had a lot of the characters. So I, I dug it. Uh, I will say, the things I liked most about your story is the, uh, the take on how his powers worked, how the dreaming worked. That was so interesting that is this, you know, the uh, notion of what he wants being brought to life through these schematics um you nailed the flashbacks um that was something we'll talk more about andrew's story but i was really missing the parallel to his time as the great machine Mm -hmm. the android thing was interesting there's actually kind of an interesting storyline about an automaton in in the the book series i won't tell you how that one works i was hoping yes uh so yeah i i dug it i I felt like uh, overall you got the the flavor of it quite well, um, and I liked that conflict of yeah this probably should be illegal but there is no reason for there to be a law yet. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we haven't written uh, that one yet. Yeah, yeah. So that that was a lot of fun. Um, I would have liked to see a little bit more of the stakes of it because mm-hmm. um, I didn't know what the real threat was to hundred. I mean, obviously losing approval. But I didn't, I didn't feel that yet, you know? Sure, 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 sure. Gotcha. Uh, Andrew, anything you want to say about Eric's story? Yeah, yeah, thanks. Um, yeah, I was... Um, I really liked uh, <laughs> the back and forth between him and and, and, and Gotti. Um, I, I, just the characterization of her. Um, mm-hmm. I didn't get a chance to play with that character, so I was very pleased that you did, and also with the characterization of her. Um, I loved the term impounded android. I thought that was kind of surreal. Um, and the thing with the, the trick with the handcuffs was a lot of fun. Um, the thing that took me out of it a little bit is, and maybe it was just confusion on my part, was that it seemed that uh, the way you played it is that Dave and Candace did not know that much about his powers or anything about his powers. 
And so I wasn't sure if that meant that they were completely in the dark. Um, so when it was kind of revealed that he had these powers and he used them, it didn't seem like anybody was very phased about it. Sure. Um, and also the reaction to Kremlin being dead. Um, I, I Towards the end, I, I got a bit more of a reaction from him regarding this this death. But I, man, if somebody that important from your past just dies like that and you find out like that, I think it would have registered a lot heavier, a lot quicker. Um, so that's, I, that, that took me out of it a little bit when that reveal happened. Sure. No, that's fair. I mean, that's, uh, that's tricky too. Like if there's a big reveal like that, like mid scene, like how do you keep that from derailing the whole thing? And that was my thing. Like I needed to keep it on track with what was happening now, Mm -hmm. but I, so I didn't want to like have him suddenly, you know, thrown into this emotional thing, but I totally see how that comes across as cold or maybe just like, like not phasing him. And that's a problem. I, I was expecting it not to be confirmed. Like there would be some sort of twist. Um, oh, sure. Where, you know, maybe Kremlin has some secret bulletproof vest that Mitch had made for him, you know, that, that kind of, Sure. Hey, we don't know. Maybe it's, you know, three episodes down the line. He's back. It's a comic. Yeah, so that, that was something that I may have may have read into it, that that could be why Mitch wasn't as shocked. Sure. But, uh, yeah, uh, good points, Andrew. So let's let's talk a little bit about your story. Sure. Uh, I I loved the drama that you prevent, presented. It was so West Wingy, <laughs> uh, but it was also the kind of thing that's really interesting because you take that real political conflict, and then yeah, what do you do when you have the superpower that could be the solution? Uh, where's the line? And that's such an interesting thing, and that happens in Ex Machina a lot as well. There's this sort of frustration of the impotence that Mitch feels throughout the term as mayor. Uh, not being allowed to use his powers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I, I like, really dug that. <laughs> I like that he like he had his own little conflict with the coffee maker, while everybody in his administration was dealing with like the real problem. I really, I really enjoyed that. That was a lot of fun. <laughs> in general, your dialogue was superb. So yeah. Sorkin-y. I mean, I, it's like I tried to channel Sorkin a little bit in like my Silicon Valley, but you like really hit it, like. So, so good. I'm very you impressed. You nailed it. Yeah, I mean, the, the hyperbole about the end of the world and then getting the numbers to see that it's not really as much hyperbole as you might think uh, is just so typical of West Wing and that kind of drama. It was really tense. Um, so I, I dug that. I I liked that you stole Leo's secretary and gave her to uh, yep. Dave. Um, mm-hmm. Margaret. 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 <laughs> <laughs> uh, I will, I'll say that I wanted more of the, the superhero thing. You know, that was one thing sure. that you took from the West Wing that I don't think applies to Ex Machina, is that the focus being more on the staffers than on the man at the top. Mm-hmm. Because uh, I, I just didn't get enough Mitch. Um, and when we did see him, he was way more Bartlett than Mitch 100. Uh, he, was, he was just a lot more, you know, noble and uh, heroic than the actual Mitch Hundred. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So, okay. Gosh, this is this is a really tough one. Um, Eric, anything else you want to say about Andrew's piece before we jump into the judgment? Nah, I thought it was fantastic. Hey, thanks, thanks, bro. That's all I, I like got. Yeah. 
I, so so here, really quick, can I ask yeah. a question? Ask a um, question. The, the android thing in Eric's story, was that something that I didn't get that you got? Is that something that's actually... Did no. I miss that? No, okay. it, was, it was just an application of the powers. Okay, okay. Sounds good. Yeah, no, for some reason that seemed like something explicitly from the, the book. Okay, cool. Yeah. Made it up. Yeah. So Awesome. I don't, you know, I, I don't want to give a winner because I don't want either of you to feel bad. So I'm just going to say who lost. Um, and that's, <laughs> that's really tricky uh, because uh, you both hit different elements of this really well. Uh, but, but in the end, I got to say, Eric, you lost. Um, oh, no. And My- it's, it's tough because you hit the, the superhero side better. But Andrew's take just was more of the whole package of getting the political feel of Ex Machina. Oh, I am a two-time loser. I am the only one of us to have lost both of my dueling sham picks. Uh, oh, that's rough. So Andrew is the least loser of all of our sham picks. <laughs> yeah. He lost the least. I lost uh, the least. Uh-huh. Not the winner. No. There are no winners. There are here. no winners in championship. We don't want. We don't want to play favorites. Um. <laughs> uh, I think that means the next time we do this, that Eric is going to be out for blood. He is going to be swinging, coming Swing into fences. this swinging fists. No, I'm just gonna. I'm just gonna be really spiteful. I'm just gonna write. Andrew is stupid. Period. <laughs> just kill uh, me off in the story. Yep. A guy named so, Andrew showed up and he died. <laughs> Uh, but now before being stupid and ugly. <laughs> you got it. Oh, goodness. This shit so writes if you itself. want to read Ex Machina, which I can't recommend enough. Uh, I want to. A couple ways you can get it. There are trade paperbacks. There are 10 volumes of that. that ran for 50 issues plus a few specials. So oh, wow. check that out. Or you can get the deluxe editions, which are beautiful. Really show off the fantastic art by Tony Harris. There are only five of those. They all cover the same material. Uh, just love it. Brian Gavon and Tony Harris, Ex Machina. And also check out Aaron Sorkin's The West Wing for the first four seasons. <laughs> apparently uh, we love that too. Oh, uh, we sure do. We really, really do. Uh. <laughs> and I think we got to have Eric write it now. <laughs> I think that's, oh, yeah. yeah. The that's, time this has definitely got to happen. This is going to be a future episode. Uh, yeah, yeah. see... Yep, it's it's tough. I mean, I want to. I but I, you know, I've seen like you know maybe an episode. But Forget it. I feel it from like I feel like it would be fresh material. So I said we do that. I agree. I think Andrew, we should have him write specifically the the first episode of season five. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll that's, just, that's we'll give him the exactly season four finale. That's a great idea. Yeah, <laughs> say I think it. that's what we got to do. Say <laughs> it. All right. Well, until next time, listeners, <laughs> thank you. This has been Sham Fiction. As always, you can't beat the dredge. They're pure energy. <laughs> Bye. I love you. Sham Fiction is produced by Two Jackets Productions, which is Eric Carlson, Marcus Mann, and Andrew Neal. Special thanks to Reed Reimer for providing the music. For a full list of episodes and to read this week's fiction, visit shamfiction.com. Follow us on Twitter at shamfiction, and please, don't forget to subscribe and rate the show. Sham Fiction. Write what you don't know. Hey, Sham listeners, I need to tell you what's next on the show, but you'll have to walk with me. I have a meeting in the Oval in a minute, okay? Okay. 
Polling numbers for Eric have been low after going 0-2 during Dueling Sham Fiction. Our guy needs a win, but he needs a two-thirds majority, and that isn't going to be easy given the expectations of the voting body. If he wants to impress, he's got to brush up on valuable skills like passionately explaining the morality of his stance on complex political issues and quoting articles of the U.S. Constitution at the drop of a hat. Only then will he be worthy of serving the leader of the free world. Got all that? Okay. What's next?